Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, life is not always easy, is it? Indeed, life can have its joyful moments. For example, when you have children baptized, as we have in the past weeks, also with the Hooksma family and the Koopman family, or when you have a wedding, which often takes place also often during the spring and summer times. But life can also have its moments of suffering, and some do suffer much. Especially as you live your life as a living Christian for Christ, you may need to suffer much. Many Christians in the world do suffer much as they stand up for the Lord Jesus in difficult situations in the world. When you have to live in that kind of a situation, what joy is then in life? When day after day in, you have to struggle, you have to fear for your life, what then makes life worth living? Well, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Lord, wrote some very encouraging words. Words that would lift us up in times of bitter struggles and trials. Words that comfort us and give us courage to, to keep on going as we anticipate that everlasting glory at the end of the road of our earthly life. The Apostle Paul speaks much about our present suffering. He knew what suffering was all about. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, I have been in prison frequently. I have been flogged severely, been exposed, exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with bronze. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in open sea. I have known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Yes, brothers and sisters, it's clear that Paul was well equipped to speak about suffering. For he too knew what suffering was all about. And yet, and yet after all that he suffered, he could still conclude with these beautiful inspired words of Scripture. I consider that the present sufferings of the present time is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Indeed, if there was something that could separate the Apostle Paul from the love of God, if it was the fear of death, if it was the pleasures of this life, if it was the powers of the demons, if it was not knowing the future or anything else in all creation, then surely Paul would have already fallen prey to it and so have fallen away from the faith after all the bitter suffering that he had to go through. But as it is, he still loved the Lord. And that made the Apostle Paul all the more realize that this is not man's doing, that God is at work in his life, that this is God's divine work. What's more, that also made the Apostle Paul realize that these sufferings do not happen by chance, but they happen for a purpose. And that purpose is that we be refined to shine like our Lord Jesus Christ, to be like Him more and more, to the glory and the praise of our Heavenly Father. Yes, God gave His Son in His likeness so that we would be like Him in our righteousness, in our holiness, knowledge, and obedience. And God established that in us through what is often called the golden chain of salvation. 
of which chain the Apostle Paul lists five links, namely that of knowledge, predestination, called, justified, and glorified. There are five links mentioned in this chain. And all five of these links must be seen and received as the work of God. For as the saying goes, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So if any link in this chain is man's doing, the chain would collapse altogether. But as we will see, each link is from God, a work of God. And thus, this chain cannot collapse. It will not collapse. It will fulfill the purpose of its creator. And seeing this, and realizing this, gave the Apostle Paul and the Roman Christians, to whom the Apostle Paul wrote, so much strength and so much comfort. And from that, we too are to derive much comfort and strength. Also this morning again, for our lives are suffering, whether that be from persecution or for sickness or loneliness, handicaps or perhaps old age, or from whatever loss which may befall us in this life. And so, brother, sister, may proclaim to you the word of God this morning as follows. Because it is God who has established the golden chain of salvation, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we'll see that this chain is, first of all, determined in eternity. Secondly, is worked out in our personal lives. And thirdly, ends in everlasting glory. So first of all, because, God, because it is God who has established the golden chain of salvation, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The golden, God's golden chain of salvation is first of all determined in eternity. While the golden chain of salvation is actually only mentioned in the last two verses of our text, verse 29 and 30, we also need to look at verse 28. Because the Apostle Paul spoke about the golden chain of salvation as the ground for that bold statement he just made in verse 28, where he said, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. That's a statement that we so often quote and hope to comfort a brother and sister or loved one who's experiencing tremendous grief, don't we? Particularly in situations where we, we, we don't have answers. Particular situation where we are reminded again that God's ways are not our ways. And yet, while we express these words of comfort, and we do so, because that's what these words are supposed to do. Words of comfort, as we believe in it. Yet, deep within ourselves, don't we sometimes struggle with these words? Particularly the words, all things work for the good of those who love him. For some things don't make sense, do they? For example, when tragedy comes upon a God-fearing family, or good fathers and mothers of yet young families, how can that be? All things work for the good of those who love Him. We believe it, but we don't understand it. Do not such unbelievable tragedies not cause us rather to cry out to God in bitter grief? Why, Lord? What is the meaning of this? Why did you allow this to happen in my life? How could you allow this if you are a loving God? When you promise never to leave us or to forsake us, then not even a hair will fall from our heads without you allowing it. 
And yes, therefore, there's so much groaning going on in this world. The Apostle Paul wrote about that in the earlier verses. Creation groans. We ourselves groan. Even the Spirit of God within us groans. Because this earth and everything in it is yet subject to decay. Is still in bondage to decay. Because of man's sin. And so there is so much groaning. Creation groans because it experiences the effect of God's curse on man's sin. And so it groans. In eager anticipation of the glorious redemption of the children of God. God's people groan in their times of trial and adversity on this earth. They're looking for something better to come for the complete fulfillment of their adoption as sons, for the resurrection of their bodies unto everlasting life. And the spirit within us groans, even with groans that human words cannot express. Indeed, sometimes in extreme bitter moments of our grief, we don't even know how to pray anymore. But then the Spirit of God within us intercedes for us. And all this groaning, says the Apostle Paul, points to the eager anticipation for that which is to come. God is preparing us for heavenly glory. God, in His wisdom, allows tragedies, allows trials in our lives, for so He would draw us closer to Him in this life, for our comfort in this life, but also so that we would be more eagerly to anticipate heavenly glory at death. And so we will sing this prayer at the end of the service. All this world, God's own field, fruit unto His praise to yield, wheat and tares together sown, unto joy and sorrow grown. First the blade and then the ear, then shall golden grain appear. Lord of the harvest, grant that we, pure and wholesome wheat may be. Yes, that is the purpose of God's creation. Therefore, he has put in place also what is now commonly called the golden chain of salvation. Now, brothers and sisters, if anyone who uses a chain, he doesn't just look at that first link, but he also looks at that last link. That first link generally tells you the quality of the links in the chain, whether it's strong enough to do its task. But the last link will tell you whether the chain is able to accomplish its, its task. And that is also the case in the golden chain that God has established in order to bring His children to redemption for His glory. It is with that last link in mind that the Lord sets in place all the other links. That last link is most important to Him. That is where His purpose lies. That He be glorified by a redeemed mankind in glory. And having established this as his purpose, he then establishes and sets in motion, each in his time, the various links required to come to this goal, this purpose of his will. Now the first two links in this chain is foreknowledge and predestination. As the Apostle Paul writes, for those who he knew, he foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, both the word foreknowledge and predestined indicates a period before time began. Scripture, in a number of passages, tells us that these two links in the chain of our salvation takes place in eternity. 
God's foreknowledge and predestination of us in glory originated in eternity, in the eternal counsel of God before the creation of this universe. So the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians, in Ephesians 1, verse 4, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This eternal act of God, this foreknowledge and predestination, began in eternity and continues unto everlasting life, heavenly glory. It is only brought to completion when God gathers his people on the new heaven and new earth on the last day. That is God's work. But two things are important here, brothers and sisters. First of all, that this chain is indeed begins in eternity. And secondly, of equal importance, that this is completely the work of God. No man yet existed, so there cannot be a cooperation of man in his being chosen unto eternal life. It is not God doing his part and, and man doing his part. No, it is completely the work of God. And because it is completely the work of God, the Apostle Paul can say with full confidence in verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And later on in verse 39, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why not? Because God did it. Not man. God did it. So there can be no condemnation. No one can snatch us from his fatherly hand because it is his work, not man's one little bit. But, 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 brothers and sisters, that does not mean that we can now do whatever we simply please. No. Since we are now determined unto salvation and eternity. Not at all. Then we are reminded of what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians. To them he wrote, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Thus we are to be actively working out our salvation. We are to be actively making Christ's redemption on the cross our own. How? By believing it. And by living it with joy and thanksgiving in our daily lives. Also being prepared to sacrifice for our lives for Christ if need be. But just because we need to follow through in what God has done for us out of thankfulness, that does not mean that we are now in control whether we want to be saved or not. No, for then the Apostle Paul quickly adds, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God's work, brothers and sisters. It is he who gives us thankful hearts, and it is he who moves us to live for him in obedience and holiness. Praise God, brothers and sisters, otherwise we would not be saved. All right, we still need to look at that word foreknowledge of God. For the evangelicals think that they have here a text that defends their position that God chose man based on God's foreknowledge of what man would do. The evangelicals agree. God determined man's salvation in eternity. But they say that God in his ability to have foreknowledge looked into time and saw all those who would open their hearts to the Lord Jesus and accept Jesus in their hearts which is the language that many evangelicals will use today. And therefore, God predetermined their salvation, predestined them 
unto glory. Thus, God's election, predestination of man unto glory is based on man's work, man's activity, man's faith, man's decision to accept the offer of God and Christ, God's own Son. And that way, you see, they had neatly worked in man's cooperation in his own salvation. In fact, man has ultimately become his own Savior. For now, this left up to man, whether he will open up his heart to the Lord Jesus, whether he wants to take up the offer of God's salvation in Christ. But brothers and sisters, Scripture teaches us very clearly that there's no cooperation of man. When God, in his foreknowledge, predestined certain men unto salvation and glory. Scripture teaches us that it is from the beginning to the end, totally and only the work of God. We saw that already with, when we looked at Ephesians 1 and Philippians 2. We could also look at Ephesians 2, where the Apostle Paul wrote, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship. Notice, His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yes, brothers and sisters, we are God's workmanship, not our own work. Our faith, our ability to embrace Christ as our Savior, that is a gift of God. How much clearer can it be that there's no cooperation of man? Take also the words of our Lord Jesus in John 6. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. No one can come to the Father except God draws him. God draws man unto himself as he drew Lydia of Acts 16 to himself. There read that God opened Lydia's heart. God opened Lydia's heart. He did this by the working of his powerful spirit, which accompanied the preaching of the Apostle Paul. But then we are still left with the question of how then are we to understand the foreknowledge in this context? But then we should note that this is the first link in the chain of salvation. Then it's just like a builder. We have builders among us too, I'm sure. What's the first thing a builder is going to do? He's not going to think about that foundation first. No, he's going to think about the end, that last link, so to speak. He's going to think about what he wants that house to look like. How big, what shape, what size, how many rooms, etc., with this foreknowledge in mind of what he wants his house to look like, he begins to, his plan, put all his plans into place, step by step, link by link, in order to bring about, in reality, a picture of the house, he, what he wants it to look like. That is what God does here, too. He foreknew what he wanted to do. He thought about what he wanted. And what he wanted was to have a people who would, with much thankfulness and joy, Give him praise and glory for eternity. And with this foreknowledge in mind, God goes about implementing each link in order to fulfill this purpose. And then God also determined what his people would, who would glorify him would look like. They would look like his son, Jesus Christ. That is what the Apostle Paul, inspired by the word of God, told us that those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed 
to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Not that Christ would be the firstborn in the flesh. No, for there were thousands of children of God born over the 4,000 years before Christ came into the world. But firstborn in the sense that he who took on human form would again ascend upon his ascension, take on the glory of the invisible God. And so we will take on that glory on that last day when we too will receive glorified bodies just like Christ's glorified body. But that likeness means a whole lot more. For remember in Genesis, when God created man, man was made in God's likeness and in his image. And the Apostle Paul explained what that meant when he wrote that to the Colossians and to the Ephesians. He said, but we were made in true righteousness, holiness, and knowledge, and also to have dominion. In Christ we are again set apart, holy for God unto eternal glory. And at Christ's resurrected spirit at work, through God's word proclaimed to us, we again begin to do right, although still with much weakness and shortcomings and sins. And again, have dominion over sin, Satan, and this world, until finally on the last day, we can glorify him in all perfection and heavenly glory. But first, what God had determined in eternity must be worked out in our real lives of those whom God has chosen unto salvation for his glory. And so we come to the second point. God's golden chain of salvation is worked out in our personal lives. <clears throat> we come now to the next two links in the golden chain of salvation. Namely, calling and justification. As the Apostle Paul writes, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Here again, we must first of all note that also the calling to salvation and being justified unto salvation is completely God's work, not man's work. And secondly, we must realize that the manner God brings this about is through his spirit, by his word. He would have proclaimed to us. Therefore, too, this would answer objection of those who say that this chain of the Apostle Paul is not complete. For the Apostle Paul does not mention the work of sanctification. They would say, should the list not have read, those whom God justified, he also sanctified, and those whom he sanctified, he also glorified. However, brothers and sisters, we should realize that no one is justified who is not also at the same time sanctified. No one can claim Jesus as his Savior, that is justification, if he does not at the same time hold the Lord Jesus as his Lord and Master, that is sanctification, so that he would submit to the full word of Christ as we have it in our Bibles, and so also conform our life according to it. As Lord Jesus once said, not the one who cries out, Lord, Lord, on the last day will enter heavenly glory, but only he who does the will of his heavenly Father. Thus it can be said that when the Apostle Paul mentions calling and justification, and he includes all the work of the Spirit in the life of those predestined to glory, which would then include faith and sanctification. Now that God had determined before the foundation of the world those chosen unto eternal glory, that is, bring the beginning and the end of the chain, how does he now bring the beginning to its end? 
Well, the Lord does not use us or treat us as robots, but as living beings with intellectual minds and with moral persuasions, which indeed needs constantly to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, which is exactly what he's doing with the power of his Holy Spirit at work in us as he has his word proclaimed us each Sunday again. Those whom God predestined, he also calls. God calls by bringing those to receive glory to where they can hear the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not one of those predestined unto glory will be, will be missing. That also determines how we will do mission work. For while we may not be lazy and fulfill God's mandate to the church to preach the gospel to all nations, we also do not need to do mission work in anxiety and panic. For there are those who will say, we got to get out there before all those people perish. No, then we can calmly say to them, none of those whom God has predestined unto glory will be missing. Each one will in this time come to hear the call of salvation as his word is pre preached to them and they will respond. Oh yes, not everyone will respond in the same way or immediately or with equal enthusiasm and joy. Some also may come and go and need to go through a scorching before they truly cling to God their Father with all their heart and to Lord Jesus as the only comfort in life and death. But this calling of the Lord through the preaching to those destined unto glory is an effectual calling. That is, it will take effect in the chosen of the Lord, those chosen unto salvation. And this is then how it works. As God's word enters the ears of the person and comes to the mind of the individual, the Holy Spirit gives that mind understanding and thus joy in the knowledge of salvation and then also conviction in the heart that Christ Jesus also died for him and her. The Holy Spirit thus then works that new, new birth in the heart of the individual. This is called the work of regeneration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives a new birth. The Holy Spirit of God alone regenerates man, makes him a new creature, a new creation to the glory of God. You see here again, regeneration is not dependent upon man's action. Regeneration is the work of the Spirit apart from man, while it is worked out in man, in time, when the gospel is preached to him, and then it does cause a man to walk the new life. The work of the Spirit is a work of conversion and repentance. It is a spirit that converts the heart of man from being inclined to all evil to now want to please God and to, and to flee from sin. Thus a heart that is converted by the Spirit of God constantly seeks repentance from sin, forgiveness of sins, and also hates sin and flees from it. But it must be clear, as we have no part in our physical birth, for we did not have a say in if and when we want to be born, so too we do not have a say in our regeneration in being born again. It is as the Lord Jesus told Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know from where it comes or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. As our physical birth took place entirely apart from our will, so also our spiritual rebirth. It is God who calls from darkness to light. God calls by placing the life of Christ in our hearts, by His Spirit, through His Word. And it is a powerful call, for the calling is God's work. 
It's not the work of a powerful preacher. It's not the work of a soul-stirring emotional songs. It's not the work as a result of a suffering or a serious accident, although such things may awaken us to come and, and hear the call of the gospel. No, it is God who calls. That honor is his and his alone, and his is all the power. To him alone belongs all the credit to bringing us to glory. And it is also an irresistible call. As the Lord Jesus said in John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast away. He who calls draws us. And when he draws us, he draws us to the cross. For so the Apostle Paul said, those whom he called, he also justified. Now, brother and sister, if you would say that word justified slowly, then you would have this. Just as if I died. Justified. Just as if I died. Isn't that a good way to remember the meaning of justified? Isn't that what justification is all about? Just is as if I died. What is justification? It's the ability God gives us to believe and to embrace Christ's death on the cross. Just as if I died on the cross. And therefore I stand acquitted, not guilty, before the righteous judgment of God. By embracing Christ's death as my own, as if I died on the cross, which I couldn't because I'm a sinner, yet that gift of believing, that gift of being able to embrace Christ as my deliverer, as my Savior, that moves God, my righteous judge, to declare me not guilty, justified, righteous in Christ. Because I embrace Christ's righteous death on the cross, just as if, just as if I died, I am free from all condemnation. And because God gave his son to die on the cross for me, just as if I died, nothing will be able to separate me from the love of God. For this love is in Christ Jesus. And so that brings us now to the last point. God's golden chain of salvation ends in everlasting glory. Yes, there's one more link. Glorification. As the Apostle Paul wrote, those whom he justified, he also glorified. And when we think of glorification, we often think of heaven, don't we? And we think about that heavenly abode, and we think of Revelation chapter 4. There we see a glimpse of, of the heavenly throne room of God. They read that as God sat on his holy throne, he had the appearance of jasper and carnelian and a, and a rainbow resembling an emerald circled his throne. And before his throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. That is what the Apostle John was given to see for our benefit. What the Apostle John also saw in the center, around the throne of the Father Almighty, was four living creatures who were covered with eyes in front and in the back. And he heard them never stop singing, night and day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. What an awesome sight heaven must be, particularly that, that holy throne room of God. But the most thrilling thing of all, brothers and sisters, is that the Apostle Paul, Apostle John, also saw surrounding the great throne of God, 24 thrones. And seated on them were, lo and behold, 24 elders, just like you have elders in your own congregation. Yes, human beings, 
like you and me. Yes, here we see that God indeed will accomplish His foreknowledge, His plan, His purpose, which He determined in eternity and worked out in time, in real people, so that He will have a people, His redeemed, worshiping Him, glorifying Him, singing praises to Him, along with the four living creatures. For the 24 elders are the fulfillment of the golden chain of salvation. For what did the apostle John see these 24 elders wearing? They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. That is, they were victorious. They were justified, just as if they died on the cross. They were washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. That these 24 elders represent the Old and New Testament church is confirmed later in the later revelation to the apostle. In Revelation chapter 7, for example, before the seventh and the final seal is open, we get a glimpse of those sealed unto glory, of all those predestined unto salvation, and so washed in the blood of the Lamb. For they too were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, meaning they were joyously celebrating their being washed in the blood of the Lamb. And it was a great multitude which no man could number, which the Apostle John saw. And brothers and sisters, you and I are among them. If you are now doing what you will be doing then, then you will be assured that you will certainly be among them. Yes, for it is as the Apostle Paul, after contemplating the wonderful golden chain of salvation, a chain thought out by God alone, worked out by God alone, so that none can be separated from his love, each person preordained will meet his or her glorious end. This caused the Apostle Paul to ask, what then shall we say in response to this? What will we then say? We will then say, as we will say now, though now yet with much imperfection, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, and praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, if you can sing those praises to, to God with your whole heart today, then you will sing those praises more to God in glory for an eternity. For the Apostle Paul has pointed out that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So nothing can break this golden chain of salvation because as we have seen from beginning to end, it is all God's work. And those who are part of it will know it. They will know it. You will know it by the Holy Spirit at work in you, working in your lives, fruit of faith. And you know, what's the most wonderful thing of all, brothers and sisters? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the most wonderful thing of all is not that heaven itself is so beautiful, its surroundings and everything in it, and heaven and earth will again be united. But it is this, that we will personally behold the face of our God. Can you imagine? Standing before your heavenly Father, in full consciousness of how much you have hurt Him all those years, with all those sins, weaknesses, and shortcomings. Can you imagine standing before your Lord Jesus Christ, in full consciousness of what He has done for you on the cross, to pay for your sins? And then you will hear him saying to you, 
Though your sins were like scarlet, I made them as white as snow. Welcome, my brother. Welcome, my sister. Welcome to the joy of your master. What will we then say? We will be speechless, only to respond with an outburst of songs of praise, with tears flowing down our cheeks as we worship him who lives and reigns forever. And brothers and sisters, listen to this too. This last link, while it ends in heaven, it already begins here on this earth. Yes, here we have a foretaste of that glory that of that glory now already. Where? Here in church. Here in worship. Here in the fellowship of the saints. Here is a certain foretaste of that heavenly glory as we assemble together in church, in holy worship. True, it is yet an imperfect assembly, for our minds do wander at times, and the preacher is not always as eloquent as we wish him to be, and sometimes we do maybe get a little bit sleepy at church too. Yet under the preaching of the word and the fellowship of God's people, we receive a certain foretaste of the glory of the heavenly assembly to be. And that is why the children of God grieve when they can't come to church due to sickness or some other adversity. They don't want to miss out on this foretaste. For we have here a little bit of an idea of what heaven must be like. When we can sing together, when we can pray together, when we can have fellowship together, when we listen to our Father speaking to us through a servant, and when we can sit around the table together. Yes, every Sabbath day, brothers and sisters, is truly a foretaste of the glory to be. And so when we think again about the golden chain of which the Apostle Paul spoke, how it began before the world was formed, and how it goes through this age into everlasting heavenly glory, then we rejoice. And we can hardly wait, can we, brothers and sisters? We can hardly wait for the last day. We constantly cry out, Come, Lord Jesus, come soon. Maranatha. Yes, brothers and sisters, we are traveling in a foreign land. We are pilgrims and strangers on this earth. And we may need yet to suffer much for Christ, also due to our sins. But the Lord has told us of the glory that is ours, which he alone has established and established in his only Son, so it can never, ever be broken, but stands firm and sure forever. It is true and certain. Brothers and sisters, let that be your comfort and strength in this new week before you until your last day when you may stand before him in glory in eternity. Amen.